Welcome to the Complete Leader Podcast, giving leaders the tools and information they need to grow and change their world. Now here's your host, Dale Dixon. Lower costs, increase productivity, and maximize profits by making happiness a priority. Welcome to the Complete Leader Podcast, everything you need to become a high-performing leader. I'm your host, Dale Dixon. On the show today, Valerie Alexander. Former securities lawyer, investment banker, and screenwriter, Valerie Alexander now tours the country as a keynote speaker and corporate trainer, working with outfits that want to retain their top talent through a focus on workplace well-being and equal opportunities for women. Valerie has written three books on these topics, and she owns the trademark on the phrase, As a Second Language. For books in the personal growth and self-help space, under which she has published one more book, has four others under contract, and several more in the pipeline. Valerie, you are hopping. Thank you, Dale. So uh, great to talk with you. Uh, we've got to stop, first of all, and uh, better understand as a second language. Tell, tell me the story behind that. The story of how I came to write the book was that my husband and I were going through a very tough time. We were both screenwriters. We, our union was on strike, the WGA. Some other things were going not so great in our lives. And at one point he said to me, I can't believe you can stay happy through all of this. And I said, yeah, it's not even my native language. And as soon as I said that, it made me realize that's true, that people aren't raised speaking of a, a, a language. They, they're, they're raised speaking the language that's spoken in their home. But they, if they want to learn a different language, they have to train for it. They have to take classes. They have to practice. They have to do homework. They have to give themselves time to learn it. If, if you were raised in a house where everyone spoke Greek, you would speak Greek. But if you were raised in a house where nobody spoke Greek, you wouldn't expect yourself to just start speaking Greek. Or if you decided to learn it, you wouldn't say, well, I'll read a book and then I'll be fluent. Or I'll give myself a week and I should start having Greek thoughts. And I think the same is true for so many things that we expect of ourselves. We expect ourselves to be able to be happy. We expect ourselves to be able to be successful or to be good parents or to know how to stay in shape or to be creative. And if you weren't raised with that skill set, then you need guidance and you need help. And that's the basis for the books, for all of the As a Second Language books. I, I studied language instruction extensively before writing the first one. And I've discovered the format for how to teach someone to form the neural pathways in their brains to become fluent in a language they didn't already speak. And even so that's how we do it. Even if that language is happiness. Yes. Perfect. So now I'm really curious, how did you make the transition? Securities lawyer, investment banker, screenwriter, and then to keynote speaker and corporate trainer. Securities lawyer, investment banker, all sort of was lumped together in this time in the Silicon Valley. That also includes, I was an executive at two different internet startup companies, and those were in the heyday, in the 95 through 2000 gold rush in the Silicon Valley. And then my mom got sick. She had a brain tumor, and she was back in Indiana, and I was done with the Silicon Valley anyway, so it was easy to decide that where I was needed was Indiana. So I sold my house, I sold my car, I quit my job, I gave away all my furniture. And with two suitcases and my dog, I moved back to Indiana. I took care of my mom for a year. Last weekend for Mother's Day, my sister and I spent the weekend in New Orleans with my mom. 
because she is all better and still with us. Oh, what a fantastic yeah. continuation of the story. All right. Absolutely. And so, but then in 2001, when my mom was better and I was ready to come back to California, the Silicon Valley had fallen apart. And so there was nothing to go back to. So when I got to California, instead of turning right to go to the Bay Area, I turned left to go to Los Angeles and start writing movies. I had I wrote some scripts that were terrible, and then I wrote one that wasn't, and a very nice career started. I worked with some really spectacular people in the industry. I wrote for Joel Schumacher. I wrote for Catherine Zeta-Jones. I wrote for Ice Cube. And then again, I was saying my union went on strike. And again, I was kind of done with Hollywood at that point. And I started writing books. And after the happiness book came out, it it had a flourish for a time. It was the number one happiness book on Amazon for a while in, two thir- in 2013. And so people started reaching out to me and asking me to come to speak at their organizations. And at the same time, I got a certification in the science of happiness from UC Berkeley, from the Greater Good Science Center at UC Berkeley. And I learned how important happiness is in so many other aspects of our lives, not just our personal happiness, but how big a difference happiness makes to the bottom line at companies. And so I began reaching out to companies or I had companies reach out to me and I had the opportunity to go in and do some management training, do some corporate talks, do some corporate events where I could show them, here's how you're going to really save an enormous amount of money by just changing your culture and making happiness a a slightly higher priority. Perfect segue, because this is the topic for our short conversation today. The idea (laughs) of lowering costs, increasing productivity, as I said in the the very beginning, maximizing profits, profits and making happiness a priority. So give us the why. Why should the employer care about the happiness of employees? Aside from just being a decent human being, yes, which, obviously. yes, we'll start with that. If, if you are a the head of a company, the CEO of a company, it makes you a better person if you care about the happiness of your employees. But being a better person doesn't show up in your boardroom. So here are just some of the costs associated with unhappiness. I'm going to pause you right there, though. So yes. do you, in, in all your work with in the, in the corporate world, have you found some people who said, you know what, I really don't care. All that matters is that they show up for work at 8 a.m. They give me their all until 5 p.m. And, and outside of that, I don't care. Do you run into yes. people like that? Yes, I, I run into people. I, I got brought into a major corporation. I can't say who, but it's, it's an employer with 150,000 employees. And I got brought in to present to the head of all of their different learning and productivity teams. And half the people in the room just were responding with, come on, our, our employees can take care of their own happiness. And so the, it's a real issue. That's where I was it's going a with real this. issue. Okay. I, I, a lot of people think it's not my job to make my employees happy. It's my job to give them money and in exchange for their work and I get their work and they, I give them the money and everything else is up to them. Okay. And you know what? That might be true. That might be true if you want to have that attitude. You can. You are free to have that attitude. I'm going to share with you how much money that attitude is costing you. And how much? Well, according to Gallup, $450 billion a year in the United States alone. Is lost due to, to unhappiness. unhappiness. Solely, when you isolate for all other factors, 
just looking at the difference between happy employees and unhappy employees. The difference is $450 billion a year. And people hear that and they think that's ridiculous. And then when I tell the factors, unhappy employees are more likely to call in sick. They're more likely to quit without notice. They're more likely to engage in workplace bullying. They give worse customer service. They disengage completely so you don't get their creativity, you don't get their productivity, you don't get their innovation. But on much uh, more specific levels that people don't make this association, unhappy employees are more likely to bully other employees or be toxic, meaning they cost you your good employees. Unhappy employees have higher levels of worker compensation claims. There are all kinds of costs associated with unhappiness. We call those hard, hard costs. Hard costs, but then again, that the employer can't see. I I can go into any company and I can say, show me in each division your turnover and your absenteeism. And if one division is a standard deviation above the rest, I can say, you have a toxic manager. So what is the biggest cause of of workplace unhappiness? Are you able to, to track it down to some specific areas? I have created a phrase for this that I call accidental managers. And it's a really common thing in most workplaces, but particularly in the sciences or in law or engineering. People are put in charge of other people by virtue of their job or by virtue of their title without ever having been given one minute of managerial training. I briefly taught at Berkeley Law, and during the semester I taught there, I took an hour out of my syllabus to cover how to speak to your secretary. And a lot of the students in the room thought this was a waste of time. And then a year later, two years later, I started getting the emails. Oh my God, you were so right. Because lawyers are put in charge of other people, but they're not thought of as managers. Doctors have an entire group of people that answer to them and whose effort they need and whose loyalty they need and whose buy-in they need, but they're never given any training in how to speak to these people. And one of the biggest problems is there is an enormous disconnect in belief at the managerial level between what motivates workers and what we think motivates workers. The Harvard Business School is one of the many, there's a three, a, about three or four large scale ongoing happiness in the workplace studies in this country, UC Riverside, Gallup, Harvard Business School, all of them, all three of those studies have found the number one factor that motivates employees is a sense of accomplishment. Some, some call it accomplishment, some call it progress, like the feeling that they're making progress on work that matters. And if you think about that, of course that's what motivates your employees. It's what motivates you. What motivates each of us is a feeling we got something done. Your best day at work was the day you got the most done. Your employees feel the exact same way. So if we can give our employees a sense of accomplishment or we can ensure that they know that their work matters, that they're making progress, that we don't change the goal lines on them, or we don't rob them of the the sense of accomplishment that they get on, on for a job well done, they're going to be motivated and they're going to be excited. But Harvard Business School did a study 
of 667 managers across a wide range of industries. The author was Therese Amabile, who is the head of research for the Harvard Business School. And she gave managers a list of factors that motivate employees and ask, rank these factors according to which is most motivational and which is least motivational for getting your employees engaged and excited. 95% of them ranked making progress last and dead last dead last even though it should be number one it should be number one the the feeling that you're making progress on work that matters is the number one motivating factor for employees and number two is autonomy which basically means the ability to do your job without somebody else interfering with it the micromanager hovering the helicopter manager Okay. And yes. you've got a term, rock your employees with ACDC. What does that, <laughs> tell, tell me more about that. Um, that's another, that's a mnemonic I created so that, because people always remember ACDC. When I'm live in the room doing this, we have some ACDC music going. But ACDC is the three steps towards getting the best out of your employees whenever you communicate with them. And that is you give them appreciation, clear direction, and confidence in their work. There is a standard plague on most workplaces, and that is we all respond to the tyranny of the urgent. I, I did not create that phrase. That is goes back to Methuselah. I mean, it's the tyranny of the urgent. Something happens immediately and everybody responds to it, regardless of what they were doing prior. And it's really common for a manager or an employer to go over to somebody and say, hey, stop that. Go handle that because something more urgent has come up or something more immediate. And the employer will do that. They'll stop what they're doing. They'll go handle the thing they've been told. But what is lost there is how destabilizing that is for the employee. If they've been told to do X, and then in the middle of that, they're told, stop, go do Y, because with no explanation, the employee is going to internalize a belief that they weren't doing X right, that they didn't do it quickly enough, that they've done something wrong, that they missed something. And so I understand saying stop X, go do Y takes five seconds. And what I'm about to propose takes 45 seconds. But I promise you that 45 seconds will save you hours upon hours over the course of time. And that is you don't say stop X, go do Y. You walk up to your employee and you say, thanks for doing X, you're doing it right. However, Y just showed up, we need someone to handle it right now. I have confidence that you're the person who's going to handle it. And then when you're done with Y, please come back and finish X. When you say that. I, I want you to go through that one more time because I folks okay. are driving to work. They've got their hands on the steering wheel. But I think that is so crucial because it's just a different approach that is so much more effective. And if you remember ACDC, appreciation, clear direction, and confidence. So you lead with appreciation. Thanks for the work you're doing on this project. Thanks for, thanks for stacking these books in this corner like I asked you to. And then clear direction. I need you to stop this and go handle that other task. And don't skip the second half of the clear direction, which is either, and then when you're done with that, please come back and finish this. Or it might be, and that'll take you to the end of your shift. So when you're done, leave and don't worry about it. And that part's really important because if you don't give the clear direction about what to do with the task I'm asking you to abandon, your employees will leave work and they will worry about it. They will think, 
wait a minute, was I supposed to finish that? Is that going to be waiting for me when I get back? It's just a destabilizing feeling. And so give clear direction. When you're done with that, if you have time, come finish this. Or when you're done with that, just go home because we'll be done. Because you don't want to interfere with the sense of accomplishment. That's right. That's right. You don't want to tell them you have failed. And and they'll, they'll be driving home thinking I failed if they left something undone, that they didn't know whether they were supposed to finish or not. So you say, appreciation, thanks for doing this, clear direction. I need you to go do that right now. When that's done, come back and finish this. And then confidence, that's more important. So I, I'm glad I can count on you to handle that. Mm. If you express, people give you what you expect of them. <laughs> if you express confidence in someone's ability to do something, they are much more likely to do it so, and to do it well. So true. So what are some other small changes that employers can make that are going to give them some big results for that person driving into work today and they're thinking, okay, what are some things I can do to help create some happiness? Here's a tiny one, and not tiny. If your company has a newsletter, I hope it acknowledges people. I hope it takes time in the newsletter to acknowledge people for their work. And if you don't have one, think about what you can throw together, one or two. It can be a PDF that goes out once a month or once a quarter even. I worked with a cancer research center that has a large, has 500, about 500 researchers and about 2,000 staff that support the researchers. And they had a terrible unhappiness problem among their staff. And I went in, they had a newsletter. I'm looking at the newsletter and it was talking about a cancer research drug, a cancer drug they had been working on for nine years. And it just crossed some level of approval in the FDA. And this was a big deal. And so they had a, a little blurb in the new, not, uh, they had a whole article about it in the newsletter saying, this is all the steps it's been through. It's been nine years. And then it said, um, researchers work who, re, the researchers who worked on the, on this team are, and it listed the names of the doctors. And I was looking at that and I said, so no lab technicians worked on this drug for nine years. None of these doctors had secretaries who have been on this team for nine years. And the head of HR looked at me and he said, well, do you think that would matter? And I said, yes, that will matter. Next quarter, when you put this out, if you have an announcement like this, Include the names of the lab technicians. Include the names of the secretaries. They count. They matter. And he kind of blew it off. He was like, okay, whatever. And I could tell he didn't really take it seriously. But by, you know, goodwill, he did it. He called me after that following quarter's newsletter came out. And he said, I can't believe what's happening here. We have secretaries sitting at their desks crying, crying because their name was in that newsletter. He said, I'm having people come by my office asking me for five or 10 extra copies because they want to send it to somebody. I mean, these are tiny, tiny things you can do. And think about the loyalty that buys you. Think about the late nights that someone suddenly paid off for a lab technician because they were acknowledged as part of the team that found a new cancer drug. I mean, these are important things to acknowledge people for doing. So that's that's a big one. Public acknowledgement is a big one. And then just other small, small things. If you can afford it and you have the kind of team that might do it, have breakfast, have a hot breakfast in the office once a week for everybody. And not on Monday, then it feels like, uh, you know, part of your task, like Thursday or Friday morning, 
Try to make it not work-related. Try to just have hot breakfast brought in. Breakfast is important in two ways. One, it gets everybody there on time. It's, if you do hot lunch on Friday, most people are going to take off after lunch. But if you have hot breakfast on Friday, it gets everybody there. It literally lowers your absenteeism on Friday, and it gets everyone to come in on time on Friday. But breakfast has another really important result. We attach breakfast to nurturing. Breakfast was the meal that generally mom prepared for you. And people feel much more cared for by a company if they're provided with breakfast. It can be once a week. It could be the last Friday of every month. But it creates a community. People feel much more open and comfortable with each other. If they, if they enjoy a communal meal that doesn't feel like it's work-related. It, a lunch feels like a working lunch. Breakfast feels like your company's taking care of you. And then make sure everyone in the company knows what their role is in terms of the, the greater good of the company. If you run an assembly line, take a moment to pull someone off the line and walk them from the start to the finish down the whole line and show them, here's what we're making. Here's what your part is in it. That's important. If you don't do, if, if, if we didn't have you here doing this, all these people after you wouldn't be able to do their part. This product wouldn't reach a customer. Let people know how much value their contribution makes to the whole. So important. We are, uh, we're out of time. Valerie Alexander, the author of Happiness as a Second Language, Success as a Second Language, How Women Can Succeed in the Workplace, and many more. Uh, the, uh, all the contact information, if you'd like to reach out to Valerie, learn more about her, all of that in the show notes of this episode. Uh, Valerie, thanks so much for your time and some great information to help bring happiness to our workplaces. Thank you, Dale. This was a pleasure. Really appreciate it. This is the Complete Leader Podcast, everything you need to become a high-performing leader. Thanks for listening to the Complete Leader Podcast. Find more online, thecompleteleader.org. 